0: Belong, become, believe. You're listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. This week's message is called The Need to Know for January 31st, 2021. The speaker is John Ray and the location is 2828 in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Welcome everybody who's listening on the podcast Um, We're really glad you're joining with us today as we work our way through the book of Isaiah. This incredible book of the prophet, which is often called the the proto gospel. um, There is so much from this ancient wisdom uh, for us today, especially, I think, as we will see today. As a kid, my mom would often have the radio dialed into the local conservative Christian radio station at home and in the car. Through the various programs, I came to understand the world was a very dangerous place for Christians to be, especially America. I learned that America had been founded by God and by Christians as a refuge from evil forces and was the lone bastion of freedom in the world. (laughs) America was portrayed as surrounded by other countries who had either been compromised or or who were actively seeking our destruction. And in addition to those external evils, there were enemies within who were trying to destroy what had been built by our God-fearing forefathers. When I got old enough, I even started to support some of these groups with my own money, reading their literature, um, and feeling powerful with this knowledge, knowledge that I was assured was true by those who proclaimed it. And in a major part, argued that this evidence was verified by how many people were against it. I remember how this made me feel special, included in some special secret that one day would be revealed and everyone would be forced to admit it was true. It felt good to be so certain. It felt powerful to have such knowledge. It felt comforting to have the sense of control that it provided. And of course, it was all wrong. The truth about our history and how God works among us, among nations and peoples is much more complex and ultimately much more hopeful. The truth that that God is actually the center of this history, not any nation or movement or political party or secret theory, but it would take years for me to see that, years to deal with the implications. I'm still dealing with much of it today. But this work is worth it. Because only when we let go of the conspiracy theories, the false narratives, the perverted promises of exceptionalism, can we begin to encounter the deeper truth. But look, this is not a new problem or a uniquely American one. It's a human one. And God has been addressing it for a very long time, as we'll see within our text this week. So let's lay aside our tinfoil hats for a moment and dig into what the word says about this. Now, if you've been with us, you know that we're working our way through Isaiah. We're landing on chapter eight this week, and this is how it starts. This is the prophet Isaiah speaking. He said, the Lord told me, take a large tablet and inscribe the words on it with an ordinary stylus. And then he gives this name in ancient Hebrew, that means one hastens to the plunder, one hurries to the loot. That's what the name literally translates at. He said, then I will summon, as a reliable witness, Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of Jebekiah. It says, then I had sexual relations with the prophetess. She conceived and gave birth to a son. The Lord told me, name him this name. That means one hastens to the plunder, one hurries to the loot. For before the, no, the child knows how to cry out, my father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the plunder of Samaria will be carried off by the king of Assyria. And the Lord spoke to me again. These people have rejected the gently flowing waters of Shiloah, which is the pool of Siloam, the main water source for ancient Jerusalem. And then the next few verses goes into how this judgment was going to come. It was going to overwhelm them like the waters of the Euphrates River. And then it picks up again in verse eleven. It says, "He told me. He took hold of me firmly and warned me not to act like these people." Now listen to this in verse twelve. If this doesn't sound familiar, do not say conspiracy every time these people say the word. Don't be afraid of what scares them. Don't be terrified. You must recognize the authority of the Lord who commands armies. He is the one you must respect. He is the one you must fear. He goes on. He will become a sanctuary, but a stone that makes a person trip and a rock that makes one stumble to the two houses of Israel. He will become a trap and a snare to the residents of Jerusalem. Many will stumble over the stone and the rock and will fall and be seriously injured and will be ensnared and captured. Tie up the scroll as legal evidence. Seal with the official records of God's instruction and give it to my followers. I will wait patiently for the Lord who has rejected the family of Jacob. I will wait for him. Look, I and the sons whom the Lord has given me are reminders and object lessons in Israel sent from the Lord who commands army who lives on Mount Zion. They will say to you, seek oracles at the pits used to conjure up the underworld spirits. From the magicians who chirp and mutter incantations. Should people not seek oracles from their gods by asking about the dead, asking the dead about the destiny of the living? Then you must recall the Lord's instructions and the prophetic testimony of what would happen. Certainly they will say such things because their minds are spiritually darkened. They will pass through the land destitute and starving. Their hunger will make them angry, they will curse their king and their god. As they look upward, when one looks out over the land, he sees distress and darkness, gloom and anxiety, darkness and people being forced from the land. Pretty heavy stuff, but incredibly applicable for where we are today. We see once again in Isaiah, once again in the word, that the invitation to follow God is an invitation to live by faith in God, not by sight. Not by what we see, not by, not by the rumors that people spread, and certainly not by looking to the dead, to magicians, to spirits, to guide us. No, rejecting all of those to walk by faith. You see, conspiracy theories, special knowledge, and supernatural sign-seekings are all ways of shunning truthful encounters with the living God. ...and the invitation to live by sacrificial faith. These things must be recognized and rejected for the dangers they present. We see in here that conspiracy theories and this necromancing witchcraft... ...they are closely related in this as a way of rejecting faith in God. Well, as we talked about last week, we're going to approach these scriptures by asking three questions... What did this mean to the original audience, the original hearers? What what did this message mean to them? And then how did the New Testament church how did the New Testament church interpret this? What did they do with it? And then finally, what are we supposed to do with this? How are we supposed to interpret this? Well, to the original audiences, this was This message was to jolt the people back to God. They were in danger. They were in legitimate danger at this time. And they were looking for answers outside of God's provisions, outside of God's word. And this message was to call them back to that, to reject these ways. All through Isaiah, we see the message of the prophet is for the people to turn away from the clamor of the conspiracist. To turn away from the temptations of following in the ways of the nations around them, to remember the mercy God had shown them, and to practice that exact kind of mercy with each other. The specifics of the prophecy are going to come to pass in later chapters, as we'll encounter. But the people and we also, this is jumping ahead a little bit again to our application. Listen, God, does, God never surprises us with, with a sudden judgment or a sudden change. Now, we encounter many surprises, but God's mercy is always given towards us. An ample, sufficient warning and instruction is always available to us. Well, what did this mean to the first Christians? Well, we see Jesus quoting the scripture about himself. He talks about the how that he coming, proclaiming the kingdom as the Messiah is going to be a rock that is going to cause people to stumble with that. And the, the early church saw this and they identified Jesus as that rock that makes men stumble. They saw that the way the kingdom of God was working through Jesus didn't look at all like the workings of empire or the conspiracists.
1: Both of those ideas,
0: the empire and the conspiracists, they're rooted in violence and the exalting of one group at the expense of another. They understood that Jesus was this Messiah that was foretold, that he embodied the kingdom that was truth And light and life. Well, what does this mean for us? Well, we're often tripped up by the exact same thing, aren't we? And I want to say this too. This is a very personal issue for many of us who are part of Grace Church. I can't tell you how many conversations I have. People dealing with family Close friends, co-workers, neighbors who have been caught up in the lies and the manipulations of conspiracists and crackpots, talk radio egos and cable news evangelists. It's destroying long established relationships in our society right now. And it must be called out and addressed. You see, at the core of the conspiracies is a rejection of that subversive, quiet, costly call to the kingdom of God. It's a judgment that the way of Jesus is not enough. As we talked among the the teaching team this week, Becky brought out that often this conspiracy, the the people who adhere to these, who get sucked into these conspiracy theories, that that's rooted in a pain they have in their own Lives that they don't know how to deal with. And so they're projecting it outward. Bailey talked about how people run after these things because it seems that God is not enough. And in truth, isn't that the question we're all tempted to ask? The eternal question, is God enough? Is what God has said enough? Are the promises of God enough? Or do, do we need to... Do something more that we can manipulate, that we can control, that we can put our faith in. Because as soon as we take that faith out of God and put it in something else, we are declaring that God is not enough. Becky pointed out that oftentimes the people who are driving these conspiracy theories, the ones who are profiting from them, they're people who... Have fear or who live in fear of having their power taken away, their voice taken away, their perceived position taken away. And they're manipulating others for their own profit. And that's what makes this doubly damnable are the people who are profiting off selling these lies, these conspiracy theories. Laura noted that the conspiracy theories replace a challenging mystery because, listen, the kingdom of God is a mystery. The kingdom of God is hard to wrap our brains around sometimes. And so we exchange the mystery of God, the challenging mystery, with a comforting mystery, a mystery that, hey, somehow we're on the inside. Somehow we have the secret knowledge. Somehow we're on the in-group and we're going to be saved from these other things that are happening that scare us so badly. It's a way to deal with this turmoil and discomfort. And and there is no doubt that as a world we are in a very discomforting time in many ways. But there is such danger in this rejection. Jane asked the question, what happens when we just let the conspiracy theories happen? Well, unfortunately, we have a long history of knowing exactly what happens. We know that truth is lost. People are plundered. Thieves loot. And in the worst case, we end up with Jim Jones and Guyana, David Koresh and Waco and whole societies at odds with one another. We have to ask, as Alex said this week, what really motivates us? Are we to respond like, like Laura said? She, she pointed out that the conspiracy theories response is the exact opposite of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In Daniel 3, we see these three men and they say they say God will deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we're going to praise God. The conspiracy theories say we will deliver ourselves. God has given us this this message we will deliver ourselves to the destruction of anyone else. Well, just like in Isaiah's time, the conspiracists and the occultists claim only claim that they are the only ones who have this enlightened view. They're the only ones who know what's really going on in the world. And that what almost everyone else knows is a lie that the knowledge available to the average person, to the, unenlightened is unreliable this obsession with these wild speculations saps away any energy from the daily often monotonous practices of following jesus the practices of caring for the stranger and the refugee the prisoner the sick the hungry the thirsty the next the naked the oppressed, the enslaved, the widow, the orphan, and all of those who are oppressed. It's so much easier to spread rumors and like click on information, the secret information about some fearsome secret cabal that controls everything and everyone. So much easier to click on that. It's so much easier to share that And not do anything about the reality of those around us who need us, the oppressed and the suffering. So much easier to imagine that we're on the inside of the secret knowledge. We're one of the select few who really get it and everybody else is just blind. But see here, this is what's crazy, right? This is what is so maddening about this is that the gospel The proclamation and witness of all the things that God has done and is doing to make the world right again is out there for everyone to see. It is in plain view. It is not hidden. You do not need some kind of special guru to tell you about this. No, it is evident and its proclamation is universal. God doesn't hide his secrets of salvation He does the exact opposite. He says, share them abroad. Give them to everyone. All are welcome and included. It's funny because the true conspiracy, and I I hesitate to use that word, but the true conspiracy is that God always has been and is right now working out to end all evil. To set captives free, heal the sick, and enlighten everyone with the knowledge of God. That is the thing that has been going on, undermining and subverting the kingdoms of this world. Well, how does this, how do we live this out at Grace Church? How do we practice this? Well, the seductive allure of huddling up as a group of selected people, of special people with special knowledge who share a secret is remedied by our consistent practice of radical hospitality and inclusion. And you don't have to have a secret password to get into grace. You don't have to be indoctrinated into some super secret mystical right to be part of us. No, all are welcome. And we believe the spirit is drawing all people. And through this practice, everyone involved is invited to experience a generous and panoramic encounter with the complexity of humanity and the worthiness of all humans in a way that shapes our formation in healthy ways. All of this leads to a strengthened faith in the message of the gospel. Look, in desperate times, we are all tempted. I'm, I'm no different than anyone else. In desperate times, all of us are tempted to go for the quick answer and the efficient solution. But the quick answer is almost always the oversimplified answer, leaving out all the complexities of actual truth. And the efficient solution is almost always the depersonalized solution. For real people, take a lot of time and a lot of sacrifice and a lot of humility. The proper response to conspiracy theories is not to bury our heads in the sand and pretend like if everything like pretend like everything is just fine and it's all going to work itself out. The answer is to give an infinitely greater measure of attention and trust to the true ruler of all things, to the very public gospel that has been proclaimed it is not hidden it is not secret the one whose kingdom has come and whose will is being done here on earth and on heaven is the true ruler of all things and that is where we place our faith our focus our trust Again, conspiracy theorists and cults all alike are set up to thrive on who is in and who is out, who is welcome, who is unwelcome, who is enlightened, who is unenlightened. When we practice communion, we break this. We say, Enlightened, unenlightened, healthy, sick, poor, rich, whatever color, whoever you are, you are welcome at this table. There's no password. There's no secret password you have to give. No secret handshake. You're welcome. Jesus himself sets this table. And during this time, we ask you to reflect. What has been spoken to you today by the spirit to write that down, to act, to commit, to act on it. And also during this time of worship and reflection, we share, we share with one another. We do this as a sign that none of us here is without something to give. And none of us here is without a need. So we take communion. We (coughs) pledge our obedience in humility to what the spirit is saying. And we share with one another physically. It was a scandal, a true scandal, when Jesus that night with his disciples took the bread and he said, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. I want you to break bread with one another. I want you to take this tangible reminder, bread broken, reminding you of my body, which has been broken for you. And take the cup, share with one another the drink and know that this wine is my blood poured out for you. And it removes every barrier, every obstacle to being part of God's great and expansive kingdom. Thank you for listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. You can find more about us online at gracechurchnwa.org. Grace and peace.